I'm Emily. And I'm Hannah. We are best friends and dietitians. We have a goal of challenging nutrition misinformation and fitness trends with an evidence-based approach. Each episode, we will dish up our thoughts and the latest facts on a popular health-related topic. We're the Upbeat Dietitians. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I'm Emily. Hi, guys. I'm Hannah. And this episode, we'll be discussing all things gluten, what gluten-free entails, and then also when a gluten-free diet is appropriate. So we're first going to start off with talking about what exactly gluten is. I'm sure you've heard about it. It's a very popular buzzword, especially over the past five years, maybe even longer. Yeah. Um, But gluten is actually a substance that's present in cereal grains, especially wheat, and it's responsible for the elastic texture of dough. And gluten is actually a protein that is found in wheat, barley, and rye, and can cause intestinal damage in some individuals, which is kind of one of the big things we'll be talking about today because we'll be really tackling the discussion about gluten-free and when it's appropriate. Yeah, so even though it's found in really carb-rich foods, usually like our bread, cereal, pasta, all that, it is good to remember that it is a protein. Gluten is not a carb. So that kind of goes back to, well, in the future, I guess, our whole keto discussion we'll get to, but avoiding carbs and avoiding gluten are not always needed, but we'll get, we'll get into that a lot more. <laughs> yes. And basically going off what I said a little bit ago about how gluten can cause intestinal damage in some individuals. If you do experience or are experiencing negative symptoms, removing gluten might not necessarily fix your gastrointestinal issues. Just because you're experiencing gastrointestinal issues related to eating doesn't automatically entail that it's an issue related to gluten. There are many factors that can affect your GI tract, such as stress, your environment, what's inside of foods. Um, There are so many different food sensitivities out there and allergies. And then also your general health status that has a huge impact on your GI tract. And it's really important that you don't self-diagnose yourself. This goes with any or all diseases in all aspects where self-diagnosing can be really harmful if it's not necessary because you don't want to remove a food that you might really enjoy and could potentially be providing you with nutrients that are essential to living, um, especially with where you're at in your life cycle, which we'll talk a little bit more. Yeah. Yeah. If you self-diagnose and just think that gluten is the cause, which it might be, that's why it's important to work with someone who can confirm that. But if you don't know and you're just kind of going willy-nilly and taking it out of your diet, you're missing out on so many good foods that have gluten in them that may not even be the issue. So that's why it's so important to work with someone who can actually diagnose if gluten is causing harm to you personally. Mm -hmm. Okay. So uh, if you are someone who needs to be limiting gluten, which we'll get to how to know if that's you or not in in a minute, um, there are certain ways to look for foods that are gluten-free. Like that's how you can tell if they are gluten-free or not. And it's kind of funny. I don't know if you've 
see this before Emily, but like sometimes like things like water are labeled as gluten-free. That's like, my why? favorite. Why? I, <laughs> I guess that's good if you really don't know, but yeah, I hope you know that some foods are gluten-free automatically. Yes. Water is kind of free of everything. Yeah. It's yeah. Or like apples that are gluten-free. Yeah. I but think anyway. the trickiest one I've seen is like meatballs sometimes oh. might not be gluten-free. That's the one that's tripped me the, up the most. Cause I saw, I saw it once in a grocery store. I was like, that's meat. There's no gluten in that. But then you look at the ingredients and they use it as a binding agent to keep the meat together in those circular shapes. So that was interesting. That one, yeah. I will give credit, credit to it. I guess I didn't see gluten. I think I saw gluten-free on one meatball thing and not on another. <laughs> and I was like, what the this? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, things like water. Another big one actually is soy sauce that is often has gluten in it. I have realized oh, yeah. that. Mm-hmm. That's a good one to look out for. But anyway, how you can tell if it's gluten-free, <laughs> if you're not sure, is the label should say um, gluten-free on it, or it might say no gluten. It might say free of gluten, without gluten. And it's kind of tricky because even if the food product has 20 parts per million of gluten, it can still be labeled as gluten-free. And so if you do have things like celiac disease, which we'll get to where gluten could be really, really harmful to you, then it's probably best just to have things that you know for a fact don't have gluten, like not having any bread product. Well, I guess it's not really a, a true thing, but really trying to focus more yeah. on like those fruits and veggies and meat, as long as they're not meatballs, I guess. <laughs> um, foods that you know are not going to have gluten because there might be some. So yes, anyway, that is how you can tell if a food, if it's labeled, it should say one of those things to sell if it's gluten-free or not, if you're not sure. Okay. I love this question. I'm so excited to talk about this one. Go for it. This Okay. So uh, I don't know how it really started, but some people are led to believe that gluten or going on a gluten-free diet can lead to weight loss. And unfortunately, that's not really the case. Just getting rid of gluten in your diet is not going to lead to weight loss. Um, There's no research to back that up. Unfortunately, the only thing that backs that statement up or that claim up is just like testimonials from people that have gone gluten-free and say they lose weight. And I know that Emily and I don't base our practice off of testimonials, so um, we will not be using that as a weight loss solution if that's what you're working (laughs) towards. Um, As we all know, the only way to lose weight is to eat less than you're burning in a caloric deficit. And I mean, by removing gluten, you may be in a caloric deficit if you are getting rid of all of those gluten-containing foods and not replacing them with gluten-free foods. You know, if you are getting rid of bread and rice, not rice, excuse me, bread, pasta, um, certain cereals, and then you're not replacing them with other gluten-free options that might add up in a way that puts you in a caloric deficit, but just removing gluten on its own is not going to cause a, um, a weight loss. Yeah. It kind of seems like a lot of people consume a large abundance of gluten or gluten containing products in their life and once they cut that out there's just they don't make up with that calorie difference like you noted and that's why they might result in weight loss because 
there is not an equal supplementation there. You mentioned at the beginning of this about how you didn't know what caused gluten-free to be correlated or I guess, I guess people say it's correlated with weight loss. And something I've noticed over my 23 years of life <laughs> is it seems whenever there's, I wouldn't say popular, but some type of diet that is prescribed for a disease, which we'll go into in our next point, um, people like to jump on that mm. for to apply to, to apply to the general public when it might not be applicable to everyone. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you're healthier because of that. And this will be connected to our keto conversation about how ketogenic diets were created for epileptic patients. And then society seemed to jump on that. And now here we are yeah. with keto everything. <laughs> keto everything. Ugh. Anyway, that's the topic for a future. Another day. But. Yeah. So yeah, the only way it would cause weight loss, bottom line, is if you're not replacing it with other foods that might cause a deficit, who knows. Um, and then it also can lead to you kind of reading more food labels. You know, if you do try to go gluten-free, you might be reading labels more often. And that can just basically increase your awareness of what you're eating and that in turn might lead to you making different choices you may not have made before you know trying to choose like lower calorie options and things like that but just taking gluten out of your diet on its own will not lead to weight loss and going gluten-free like Emily said does not automatically mean that you're healthier by any means mm -hmm. and oftentimes a lot of these manufacturers are benefiting from putting that gluten-free label on their product because they might actually raise the price because of common trends where products or labels are more desirable because of what everyone's thinking and what the new fad diet is. So when you're, you might be purchasing a gluten-free, you might be purchasing a gluten-free cracker for example, because you think that it's a healthier choice, but in actuality, that product or that manufacturer knows that people are trying to eat more gluten-free, so they're going to hike up those gluten-free prices even more. Yeah. I know this isn't our keto chat, but along the same lines, like, have you seen like the keto mayonnaise, which is like $6 for a little jar of yeah. it? Mayonnaise is already keto. Like, that doesn't make any sense. So, yeah. Ugh just silly look at the labels if you don't need to be avoiding it you're you don't need to be wasting money if you do yeah okay should we kind of explain what this celiac disease is all about yes okay so there are two big instances when gluten should be avoided the biggest one i would say is celiac disease and then the other one would be just a general gluten intolerance so celiac disease is what the gluten-free diet was created for. So kind of like what Emily was saying in the past or in, in the past, long time ago when Emily was talking about gluten, uh, what Emily was talking about a minute ago, not like BC. BC. Uh, I don't even remember what I was saying anymore. Before carbs. <laughs> I love that. Um, gluten-free diets were created for 
celiac individuals or people who have celiac disease. Celiac disease is an autoimmune disease where gluten triggers an immune response, which can damage the intestinal lining. And that can be presented in like a multitude of symptoms, you know, bloating, gas, upset stomach, I'm guessing vomiting, diarrhea, all those typical Mm -hmm. GI symptoms. And the severity, I believe, is probably different for everybody, but um, obviously we don't want to be going through those things on a regular basis. So gluten is advised to be avoided for these people. So in order to diagnose celiac disease, it can be identified with a blood test looking for the presence of antibodies against a protein called tissue transglutaminase. And then a biopsy of the intestine is done to confirm the diagnosis. Yes. So it's definitely at least a two-part process where that duodenal biopsy is the gold standard for diagnosing celiac. And this is the front part of your small intestine where they'll actually take a scope and they'll go down into your body and take different samples depending on the different part of the intestine. So it's not like it's not you're experiencing these symptoms, you must have it, or it's not just the blood test. It's a multitude of factors that help healthcare providers conclude a definitive diagnosis to what you might be experiencing. Yeah, you can't just self-diagnose that one. You typically could self-diagnose a gluten intolerance, but again, it's good to get, you know, checked up for that as well. But do you have more to say about celiac? Sorry, I kind of cut Not really. Off. No, no, okay. no. Gluten intolerance is a non-celiac sensitivity to gluten itself. Um, you might have the same kind of symptoms, but there is at this point no antibodies that are involved and there's not that intestinal damage that's going on that you see in celiac disease. Mm-hmm. So to get diagnosed for a gluten intolerance, you need to be tested for a wheat allergy and celiac disease. And then if they are both negative, this will lead to a gluten elimination diet. Yeah. And from here on out, the biggest treatment with this one is also removing gluten from the diet. And there's actually ongoing research recently that has come out in 2016. There was a study that indicated that there might be an immune response correlated with gluten intolerance, which is kind of groundbreaking because from here on out, everyone has been under the assumption that celiac disease and gluten intolerance, the biggest difference is celiac disease does display that immune response in the body, whereas gluten intolerance lacks that. But there's not enough concluding research at this time to make a definitive assumption that gluten intolerance will be correlated with an immune response, but it is something really interesting that we'll continue to look out for in the upcoming future to see what scientists are doing and what their new research studies find. Yeah, pretty cool. Love when research is evolving. Science. Go science. (laughs) Okay, so as we said, the best way to determine if you should go gluten-free is by getting an actual diagnosis, you know, meeting with a healthcare provider. And I want to point out that that should be a medical provider um, to get the diagnosis and then to work through that, do it with a dietitian, which we'll get over what we will go through with you if you did do that. Um, But make sure it's not your chiropractor telling you to go gluten-free, your dentist. And I have heard both of those being done. People have told me that their dentist has said they should go gluten-free to lose weight or to 
improve inflammation or whatever it might be. So make sure if you are being advised to go gluten-free, it's from either a doctor, nurse practitioner, or a dietitian. Exactly. It's especially important to that before you even try avoiding gluten in any way that you do have this discussion in conversation with your healthcare provider because the testing protocols typically require individuals to be consuming gluten for X amount of time, I believe. And if you've been avoiding it for a couple months, your body might have that immune response to gluten, but when they run the test, they won't know because there is no gluten in your body to cause that inflammation and irritation. So definitely have a conversation with your healthcare provider about it before you make any drastic changes. Yeah, exactly. Now, if you are for some reason very against seeking out some advice on this, you might have the gluten sensitivity if you have a lot of diarrhea, constipation, brain fog, stomach aches after eating gluten-containing foods, especially any kind of like, well, not any kind, but some certain skin issues like eczema may be related to gluten intolerance, bloating, gas, all of that. If you have a lot of those and you maybe do correlate it to gluten, then sure, it might be a good idea to kind of follow a gluten-free diet, but again, I recommend getting diagnosed. Um, Mm -hmm. Another reason you might know, another way you might know is that if you've gone gluten-free in the past and those symptoms subsided, that could be a good sign without diagnosis that you are gluten intolerant at the minimum. And then also it's important to know that you should only go gluten-free. Well, I guess if you have celiac, you don't have a choice, but if you have the tools needed to go gluten-free, whether that's the funds to start eating more gluten-free foods, which can be pricier, as we've said, and just the know-how of what foods have gluten, how are you going to make those different swaps to gluten-free alternatives, instead of just kind of winging it. Yeah, I think the biggest part that goes along with what you just said is how beneficial it'll be to work with a dietitian who can help you through this process of figuring out what has gluten, how can you replace the foods that you need to remove with alternatives so you're meeting your nutrient needs. And especially the funds, I feel like is one of the biggest parts, especially since gluten-free is so popular that a lot of gluten-free products that are direct substitutes like bread products, those are incredibly more expensive. Yeah. And that is unfortunate because there are people that have to remove gluten from their diet or else they might be in incredibly severe pain throughout the day if they have to consume a gluten-containing cracker or bread, for instance, because they couldn't afford the gluten-free option. Yeah, exactly. It stinks for those who have to avoid it that it's become a fad, so now they can jack up the prices. And then just remember that it is not an effective weight loss strategy. So there's no need to get rid of it if your only goal with doing that is to lose weight. Yeah. You can lose weight while eating bread. Yeah. And pasta and cake. And rice and fruit and dairy and all those good carbs. Yeah. For a second, when you said rice, I was like, there's no gluten in rice. But then you said fruit. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. Carbs, carbs. There's carbs. (laughs) We're talking. Which, that being said, we should point out the foods that don't have gluten in them. That would be like your buckwheat, right? Buckwheat, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Buckwheat, quinoa, rice, potatoes. Those are like the main starchy foods that 
you might think might have gluten, but actually don't because they're kind of in the same category as like your bread, pasta, cereals. Which yes. Do have gluten. Yes. Okay. So we kind of alluded to this, but what would a dietitian even do if you were to work with one to work through eliminating gluten? Number one would be to even determine if you should go gluten-free. So we've already kind of discussed how you might know if that is the case. He or she may also help you determine or discuss like gluten-free alternatives. So um, we're kind of known, not us for gluten-free, I'd say, but like in our field that we kind of go into, we kind of get a knack of, you know, knowing fun little food tips and tricks. Like I, for example, work in weight management. And so I know all the different cool, like lower calorie options for beverages and like (laughs) different desserts and stuff like that. And so if you're working with a gluten-free dietitian or a a GI dietitian, he or she will likely know all the cool different um, snacks and things that would be gluten-free alternatives. And then they can also, also help you adapt to this new diet. So it's a big change if you've been eating gluten all your life and then you're told to just like stop eating it so that you don't have intestinal damage. That can be a big change in your life. So working with an RD can help you figure out how to navigate those changes. Yes. And one of the biggest things we talked about a little bit before, but especially with supplementation is foods that have gluten in it, like breads and cereals are often fortified with B vitamins, whereas gluten, these gluten-free options aren't often fortified with B vitamins. And this is especially worrisome for women who are pregnant or might want to become pregnant. And if they're not receiving a folate, if you have heard of neural tube defects, that's kind of one of the one of the biggest issues we discuss when having a conversation about nutrition and pregnancy because folate deficiency folate deficiencies can lead to neural tube defects, which is why with these pregnant women or women soon to become pregnant, they might be on prenatal vitamins that have folic acid incorporated in them, or they might be taking additional folic acid on the side. Or probably the cheapest route is... (laughs) I got that folic acid on the side. (laughs) Um, Or they might be... The cheapest option is to just consume foods that contain folate in them. Yeah. Definitely... Some a good conversation to have with the dietitian, and they will help you through that process. Yeah. The other nutrient that is often lacking if you go gluten-free is fiber. So it's important to make sure you are getting plenty of fruits and veggies and like beans and other legumes if you are following a gluten-free diet. And again, so the RD that is there for to help you learn how to incorporate more of those fiber-rich foods. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh everything gosh. about gluten. Yeah, we have for you today. We'll probably do a future episode because we have a friend of ours that has celiac disease and is very passionate about just talking about it. So we'll definitely have to have her on here to cover anything we missed, tell us more in-depth information about what it might be like to experience it and her perspective on it from a dietitian's point of view. Heck yeah. yeah. So this week's bonus question is so it's a controversial one i've already had arguments with people about it but is a hot dog a sandwich i'll really let that sit in for your emotions to stew in moment of silence while you gather your thoughts 
Okay. <laughs> Let's dive in. Yes. I, I'm kind of mixed. I don't really know. I think right off the bat, I would say yes. A hot dog is a sandwich. Emily, do you want to go ahead and quote the Merriam-Webster definition? I know yes, you have that we have, <laughs> I have Merriam-Webster pulled up and her merriam-webster.com slash dictionary slash sandwich. A sandwich <laughs> is... Link in the description. <laughs> see link in bio for my source. A <laughs> uh, sandwich is... There are two definitions and two parts to the first part. So definition one, part A, is a sandwich. <laughs> no, I want, it really helps visualize okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. what it is. But definition one, part A, is a sandwich is two or more slices of bread or a split roll having a filling in between. One B is a sandwich is one slice of bread covered with food. See example, have an open face sandwich with one slice of bread instead of two, mustard instead of butter, and some vegetable sticks to munch on. I love, I don't know what that Wait, example is. So does that mean that pizza is a sandwich? Or we're going to have to get into this. Okay, we'll go. <laughs> and then the second definition, I love this so much, is it says something resembling a sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> Which... Thank you, Merriam-Webster. Now I can call anything a sandwich if it's a resembling. <laughs> That's so like up to the person who is making their claim. Well, yes. it resembles a sandwich. Yeah. So I am team hot dog is a sandwich. And my biggest argument is going along with it can be an open face sandwich. And it goes along the lines of a piece of meat or protein with some vegetables on the side around a bread product. And I know, I've, I already know there's a lot of dispute for what I just said, and it's going to cause people to be angry. That was ballsy. Yeah, I know. But there is my most controversial opinion <laughs> that we know of so far. Episode six, we are really getting into the, the controversy, finally. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I, I think, think my opinion mostly goes with the open-faced. I think mine goes along with the first one because it's that split roll kind of thing with also, some filling in between. So by definition, 1A and 1B, a hot dog is a sandwich. And two, something resembling <laughs> So by 1A, 1B, and two. So <laughs> by all available Merriam-Webster definitions, a hot dog is a sandwich. Yes. So from those that you spoke with about this, what were their opposing arguments? I, I'm, I have them all ready. Oh, okay. Okay. So the biggest one that I heard for hot dog being a sandwich is a sub, like a sub sandwich. Cause that isn't a complete split um, piece of bread and it has the filling inside. Right. So that is pro hot dog sandwich. <laughs> anti-hot dog sandwich I've heard people have brought up euros people have brought up tacos tacos was the one that really stumped tacos. me yeah and I'm gonna have to do some research on that if a taco is a sandwich because I don't it's, know it's not bread or a roll though it's a tortilla but it's a tortilla does it in the definition 
it says oh, bread okay, or a true, roll. That's true. It's not bread. Right. It's tortilla. Totally different. Okay. Okay. So but isn't that. tortilla a bread product? I mean, like a flour tortilla, not like a corn tortilla. Yeah, not corn. I don't know. Is it a bread product? Is that what it's classified under? Or is it like a... That's what I... Anything containing gluten, I've always said, is a bread product. Which I don't even know if that's true. <laughs> hey, that's some perception I've had in my head that's so, been wrong this entire time. Like pancakes are a bread product to you? <laughs> or waffles I mean french toast yeah but like is a pancake I'm a sandwich a <laughs> wait a pancake <laughs> might be a sandwich because it's got the bread product based on your definition <laughs> it's got it's an open faced sandwich it's got toppings but it doesn't have a protein you had peanut butter like a PB&J that's true but then you brought up the pizza and that also really stumped yeah. me because yeah. it's wow. the crust bread. It's kind of Miriam Webster's fault for giving such broad definitions. I know, now I'm upset. It was working in my favor. And now... <laughs> hmm. I'm, okay, back to tortillas. I'm actually just going to Google our tortillas a bread product. Let's see what comes up. Our tortillas. Oh, that has not Honestly, been Googled before. <laughs> what? <laughs> We're original. We have original thoughts. <laughs> tortillas. Okay, it says tortilla, round, thin, flat bread of Mexico. It's the Mexican bread, apparently. Okay, so then. So then, yeah, a taco's a freaking sandwich. But only flour tortillas. Because corn tortillas. But, like, let's say you had, like, a bread sandwich sandwich and oh wait that's true you don't have to have the bread you can have like flour. gluten free or flour yeah okay that belongs yeah. everything I just said okay well <laughs> so even a corn tortilla would be a sandwich <laughs> I hate that I just said that because I goes against <laughs> I agree with you like I wanted to agree with our initial statement of I being... I was feeling really strongly that oh, wait hot dog no. It still is. Our theory is still here. We're just debunking the one where your, your friend said that a taco is not. So now we're saying that a taco, pizza, pancake, hot dog, <laughs> they're all sandwiches. We're all just living in a sandwich world. <laughs> <laughs> it's a sandwich world. We're just living in it. <laughs> sandwich for president. <laughs> Well, looked up bread products, and now I've gone down a rabbit hole of different types of bread. Were there any other opposing views besides the taco thing? I think the taco one was the biggest one. The okay. euro one I argued was a sandwich. The euro, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like, would you say like a wrap is a sandwich, like a deli wrap? That's when I got stumped because I was when I was thinking about the taco, I was wondering how people wrap it because then. Yeah. Because sometimes I wrap my tacos like burritos. Does it become a burrito then? Because of, is the difference between a burrito and a taco the way it's wrapped? Well, they're both sandwiches. We know that. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's all that matters. It's the sandwich with the rolls. Um, but yes, but I think a wrap really is well. a wrap is wrapped. A wrap is wrapped <laughs> like a burrito. Unless I think if you fold the ends in, that's when it becomes a burrito. Oh, if you just wrap so it, open-ended wrap is a wrap. Open-ended is wrap. Close-ended wrap is a burrito. Yeah. Which, by the way, do you know about me that I'm really good at folding burritos? I, no, I I know that for a fact. I learned how to fold because of you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I worked at Taco Bell as my first job, and it's obviously a big important part of your job. So I am an expert burrito roller. You are right. Any size burrito, you have oh, yeah. not been able, like, no burrito can fight you. No. <laughs> Bring it on. Someone send me a big old burrito, see if I can wrap it. <laughs> I bet I can. I don't know but, how to end this because now I'm like feeling very conflicted. I feel like it's a hot I'm just going with it's, it's, we're living in a sandwich world. <laughs> that's, that's the final answer. It's all you need to know. That's the title of this podcast. <laughs> We're uh, we're scratching the upbeat dietitians, and our podcast is now called "It's a Sandwich World." <laughs> and we're just living it. And we're just living it. Let us know. We'll be posting on the Friday of when we release this episode of what this question is, and you are free to debate with us and dispute what we said but the sandwich world argument is looking very strong right now like please give us an opposing view that will change our minds i'm dying yes. to know there's i'm living in too much gray area right now i'm feeling very overwhelmed by it's all, all the sandwiches <laughs> miriam webster needs to make a more detailed definition that's what i've decided because yeah it's their fault now I just if it resembles know. a sandwich really <laughs> that's where the pancake slides in there it kind of resembles under pancake. something resembling a sandwich it says especially in italics composite structural material consisting of layers often a high strength facings bonded to a low strength central core mm, that delicious. can mean anything <laughs> I love that central core. <laughs> this is a very, it reminds me of physics. I don't know why that sentence does. I'm imagining like different forces and the lowest force object is in the middle and the two. <laughs> Ew. Yeah, no, that's their fault for making this so confusing. I know. All right, bottom line, let us know and dispute us please because currently yes. a hot dog is a sandwich yeah and i will not change my mind until presented with new information same <laughs> try us all right Bye. thank you guys so so much for listening we hope you learned a lot about gluten today <laughs> yes. we will see you next week for episode seven yes thanks for tuning in bye bye